We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Okay, we're going to be in Second uh, Samuel chapter 7, and we'll start by reading the Word of God. Now, when the king had lived in his house, and, all, and the Lord had given, them his, given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to God, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But at that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you dwell Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took from you the I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over the people of Israel." And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men." With the stripes of the Son of Man, but my steadfast love will not depart from them, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in, the, in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this instruction for mankind, O Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God. Because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness. And to make your servant know it. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you. And there is no God besides you. According to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people Israel, the one nation on earth whom God went to redeem to be his people, making himself a name and doing for them great and awesome things by driving out before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, a nation and its gods. And you established for for yourself and your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord God, became their God. And now, O Lord, confirm forever the word that you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house and do as you have spoken. And your name will be magnified forever, saying the, Lord, saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. 
and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. Sorry about that. So right here at the beginning, I feel like as we look through this and as we think to ourselves, I feel like so many times we come to church and we don't feel like we're enough for God at times. We don't feel like we've done enough to please him. At least I feel like that might be my experience at times. I feel like we come in and we worship God, but then we leave thinking, did I do enough? Did I please God today? Did I give enough in the offering? Could I have done more? And I believe that this is what David, starting off, is, might be thinking to himself. We see that as he, at the very beginning, it talks about David living in his house and the Lord giving him rest from all of his surrounding enemies. This is coming right after Samuel's told us about the Ark of the Covenant being brought back to Jerusalem. And so we see this time of peace and a time of just um, prosperity coming along the people of Israel. And we see the story of David sitting up in his palace one evening, probably having dinner, conversing with Nathan the prophet, and he's thinking to himself, why, why, why am I deserving of this when God's ark is down in a tent, the tent that's been with us since the beginning, since he brought us out of Egypt? Why, why does he not have a house like I do? Why, why, have, why have I not built him something like this yet? And so I think David's thinking to himself that, I need to do more. I need to do something better for God here. And so he's telling Nathan this. And of course, Nathan's like, that's a great idea. Of course. God's deserving that. God deserves that type of living quarters. And so they go off and they've made these plans to build God a temple. And then we see God intervenes. And he comes in and he starts off by letting David know that he's in control of this situation. He's been in control since the very beginning. We see right there at the beginning, right here, he starts questioning David. Like, would you build me a house to dwell in? Who, who are you to do this? Like, I've been here since the very beginning. I created all of this. And you're coming to me and saying, I need to build you a house? What, who are you? Like, I brought you out of the shepherd field. Like, what, what, are you, what do you think? Who do you think you are? And then he begins to tell him that, from the very beginning, since, the, since I brought you all out of Egypt, I've been dwelling with the people. I've been satisfied with a tent. Like, wh- what, do you, what do you think is different now? Why, why do you think I need this? Like, wh- what, what is your reasoning behind this, David? What, why would you think I need this now? I haven't requested this of you. I've been satisfied. I've brought you prosperity. Why do you think I need this? And then we see that he begins to point it towards David. He turns it around on him, and he begins to tell him, I took you from the pastor, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all of your enemies from before you. He begins to tell David, I've, I've done all of this in the past, David. You haven't done any of this stuff. Like, you're coming up to me and being like, I need to build you this house, God. I need to do this for you, and I'm the one that's been doing everything. I brought the prosperity. I gave you the, the palace. You're, you're just, you've been set up by me, David. Why do you think you need to do this? He begins to remind David, I'm in control here. I've been in control from the very beginning. 
he begins to remind David all the things he's done for him. Not the thing that David has done for himself, not the things that the people of Israel have done, but the things he's done for their for the people. He's brought them into this land. He brought them out of Egypt. He conquered all of the people that were in Canaan. He gave them this land. He's given them the city of Jerusalem, and he's allowed them to build it up to be what it is. This has nothing to do with the kingdom of the people of Israel, nothing to do with David. This is all to do with God, and he's reminding David of this again. I think this is really important for us to see this, especially in times where we do think that coming from church and thinking, did I do enough for God today? It's a reminder that we haven't done anything. God's done everything for us. He's made our worship possible. Without what he's done, we would not be able to worship him. We would still be out doing the same old things we've always done. We would still be in sin. But God has made this possible for us. That's not to say that we shouldn't do good things for God, but we definitely but that we should remember that the reason we do good things is because God has done good for us first. God's reminding us that he does not need us. He doesn't need us to do these things for him, but that he's called us to do them because he's done good to us first. As Christians, we're called to submit our lives to the living sacrifice, but we need to remember to be of the mindset that God has first acted in our lives. He's made us a new creation first. And then we're able to do these things. We're not doing these things to please God or to, to appease his wrath. We're doing these things because God is good and God's deserving of them. And then God begins to show David, reminding David again why he's worthy of these. He begins to point out to him the, the covenant he's made with David. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. At this point right here, God's pointing David back to the Abrahamic covenant. He's made this covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and make him who dishonors you a curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God begins to point back to the the covenant he made with Abraham, showing him that I promised Abraham peace. What have I given you, David? You've got... Your enemies have been defeated. You're living in prosperity right now. He promised Abraham land. David, look, look at all you have. Look at the entire the country of Israel. You have land everywhere. I promised it to you from the time I met Abraham. I, I've done all these things for you all. And then he talks about growing the nation of Israel. I mean, he promises Abraham, I will make your name great. I will make you a great nation. We look at Israel right now, they're prospering. It's probably one of the greatest times in the nation of Israel, at the time of David and the time of Solomon. They're economically very successful. And so we're seeing that God has prospered this nation. They are very great. 
And then God begins to point towards a promise for David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from you. Your house and your kingdom shall be made for sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. God begins pointing towards this heir for David. Telling him that, I've done all these great things for you, but guess what? I'm going to do even more. I'm going to promise you an heir, a successful heir. I'm going to be with him. Historically, we know this is Solomon that he's talking about here. I mean, we see Solomon comes right after David. And Solomon, he comes in and we see a continued, just continued success and continued prosper, prosperity and peace for the nation of Israel. We see that Solomon builds the temple, and it's a magnificent temple. The, his palace that he builds for himself is also magnificent. And so we see that Solomon and the nation of Israel during this time just prosper, and they're having peace. But then we, we also see that at the very beginning of Solomon's um, as king, he's following after God. He's listening to the Lord. He's following the footsteps of his father David. But then we see that he begins to fall into sin. He begins to marry um, outside of Israel, marry into households that worship idols, and he begins to follow after this. And then we see that God promises here that he will punish. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul. He promises David, I will, I will punish him for his iniquity. But he promises him, I won't take away the throne from him. I'll keep it, keep it in the family. And so we see that when Solomon sins, that God promises that there will be punishment for this. And we see that at the end of Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel, and it goes through a time of turmoil. It goes through chaos and civil, civil war, and they split. And so we, now we have this nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And the nation, from then on, they both continue down into sin. There are, times of, there are times where they turn and they follow God, but then they inevitably find their way back to, on the path of sin. And God finally has enough, and he sends Assyria. And Assyria destroys Israel, takes them into captivity. And then Babylon later comes and takes over Judah and leads them into captivity. And we see that God fulfills his promise here of punishing Israel. So we see that it's not completely fulfilled in Solomon here. But we see that there's more to this. And as Christians, we realize that this points to Jesus, the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And it's not only pointed to here, it's been pointed to throughout the entire Old Testament. We see in Genesis 3.15... God talking to the serpent, and I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God talking to Satan here, telling him that one day you're going to be defeated. 
the son of man, the son of this woman, the son of Eve, one day he's going to come and there will be conflict between y'all. You will, you will go to war against each other, but he will defeat you. You may deal a blow to him, and we see that on the cross. Jesus does die, but then he comes back. He's resurrected three days later, and he defeats death. And we know that for those who are in Christ, this is great news because we're with Christ on this, that he's victorious. And then in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is God speaking to Abraham here. And you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We know that this blessing is Jesus Christ. And one day that through the seed of Abraham, through the Jewish people, Jesus Christ comes and he blesses the world. He, he brings salvation to all of us. For, for those who believe. We know that through this, that David's earthly kingdom does end. But Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, it lasts forever. And we see that Jesus fulfills these promises here. I will raise up an offspring after you. He comes from the line of David. And I will establish his kingdom. We know that Jesus will one day his kingdom, he will bring down the kingdom of earth and he will rule. And he shall build a house for my name. We see that Jesus fulfills that in us. He's brought the Holy Spirit to us. We've been, we've been made a new creation. And so the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The temple that God's talking about here is not a physical temple like the one Solomon built, but it's a spiritual temple and it's in us. We, we're the temple of God. And we see that Jesus, God tells David here, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me the son. Jesus, it's not just, it's not like a father. Jesus, God is the father of Jesus. Jesus is the son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. We see that Jesus fulfills this because even though he never sinned, he took upon himself our sin and he was beaten and bruised. Then he died for our sin, taking upon himself the wrath of God. And in this final part, David comes before God and he declares to God that he deserves to be praised. God is worthy of praise. Jesus points out to God in verse 22. Therefore you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. In verse 26. And your name will be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established before you. And in verse 28, And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. David declares to God, You're right. I'm, my motives have been wrong in this, that I desired a good thing for you, Father. But you're the one that set all these things in motion. You're deserving to be praised. You don't need a temple to be praised, God. But you're worthy to be praised just because of who you are. We see it's in direct contrast to how he began. He ends this passage reflecting on the things that God has done for him, for what God has done for the people of Israel. He began it 
thinking of how can I please God? How can I bring how can I bring righteousness to myself by being, bringing glory to God? But now he's reflecting on this is what God's done for me. This is what he's done for the people of Israel. I think this right here is the key to salvation here. That we're not we're not coming before God and wondering how am I how am I pleasing God? How am I going to bring myself righteousness before God? But we're realizing that God's already brought that for us. He's brought us righteousness. He's through Jesus Christ, he's made us righteous. He died for us and he's redeemed us so that we are righteous before God. We don't have to there's no action that we can do, no amount of good works that we can ever do that will bring us righteousness. God's already done that for us. I really enjoyed this, really like this quote by J.D. Greer. He tells us that we as Christians are not primarily role models, although we are to be salt and light in the world. We are trophies which reflect the glory of the great things that God has done in us. We're not just supposed to do good works, although we are supposed to. We're called to, we're called to do good things, to obey God. But we're also called to reflect the glory of God. That's where we have to start with. If we're just out there doing good works, then what makes it any different than, than anyone else in the world? Plenty of people do good things. If we don't reflect on the glory, if, we're not, if our good works are not done because of the glory of God and the good things he's done for us first, then our good works mean nothing. As we end this message, I would just implore you as Christians to, to have the heart of David here. Be eager to serve God, but remember that in all of those things, reflect on God's glory. Remember that the reason that you do these good works is because God has done good things for you. God has promised a son. He's promised a savior. He's given us a savior. And because of that savior, we can do good things. And we can bring praise to God through them. And if you're not a Christian today, I would just encourage you that there's no better time to believe in Christ. God has sent his son to die for, for all of us. We've all sinned. And because of that, he sent his son to die on the cross. and He's redeemed, redeemed us. We can come to know him through his son. If you just turn and repent and believe. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear my Father, just thank you for the opportunity we've had tonight just to, to get together and just to, to go over the word, God. God, I just pray that um, in our worship and in our praise that, that we've glorified you tonight, Father. God, I just pray that, um, that we, we take this message, God, and we just take the word that you've given us, God, and that we just apply it to our lives and that we go out in the world and we find ways to, to reflect the glory that you've, that you've shown us, God, that we, we find ways to, to go out in the world and just to share the gospel with others, God. You're, you're, you're worthy to be praised. We're so thankful for all that you've done for us, Father. In Jesus' name we pray.